0: challenge for you to open with this morning. I know you were thinking, in a week of challenges, why do I need one more? But here's your challenge this morning. Um, I want you to picture in your mind a celebration that you had sometime in the past with people that you love. A holiday, um, maybe a birthday, maybe you were celebrating an event in your lives, and you're all gathered together. Have you got that scene in your mind? You know what it was? Now here's the question, quick, what are you eating? You have something in your mind? Do you know what's on the table in that scene? Isn't it amazing how quickly we can move from celebration to food? (laughs) We are a people who love to celebrate and we love to do it with food on a table. Um, Our celebrations, our lives are really so food focused even the other end of the spectrum of our lives, our, our moments of grief, our moments of struggle, of, of challenge, when someone is ill, when someone loses a family member, when someone has a new baby, what do we do for them? We take them food, right? Doesn't matter if you're celebrating or grieving and struggling, you got to eat. And that's what we do for people. We, we bring food to celebrations. We bring food to moments of struggle, um, grief or joy got to eat. And the truth is this, that eating is about way more than satisfying our hunger, isn't it? A meal is more than just a meal. A table is more than just a table. It, it's often about fellowship, family, community. It becomes for us a, a ritual of community building, a bit of comfort a reason to slow down, a way that we love others very tangibly by serving them and by feeding them. Will Willimon, who's a former bishop and also a former quirky dean of chapel extraordinaire for Duke, wrote in his book Sunday Dinner that when his children were small, he once had an idea that would make his life and his wife's life a little easier. His children were small at the time, and he longed for a peaceful dinner time, and so he made a proposal to her that they have two separate dinners in their house. He said, I know, Um, we'll feed the children their dinner early, and then I'll put them to bed, and while I'm putting them to bed, you prepare our dinner. And, And when I come down from bedtime, we'll sit at the table together in peace. There will be no spilling of milk, there will be no throwing of food, There will be no fighting brother and sister, and you and I can eat a peaceful, grown-up dinner together. Doesn't that sound great? Now, some of you aren't at that stage of life at this moment, but in my mind, there's probably nothing that sounds better than peaceful, grown-up dinner. He said that he could tell the thought appealed to his wife, that um, father and mother, husband and wife, would get a great deal out of a peaceful dinner together. There was just one problem, the children. She reminded him that if the children never sat to eat a meal at a family table, if they always sat at the kids' table, they would never learn what it meant to sit still. They would never learn to sit while other people talked or to eat like civilized human beings, that they would never learn the lessons of the family table. They would grow up uncivilized without the company that they were supposed to have at dinner. So much of how you and I were socialized growing up happened around a table. So much of how we went from just behaving as animals to behaving as human beings happened because someone instructed us around a table. Those ordinary moments of life that didn't seem like lessons at the time have shaped and form us. When we sit around a family table together, we are changed. We mature. We grow up. And when, when we, as a family of faith, come to a table together, when we take communion together, uh, we come to a kind of family gathering. It's the Lord's table. And there are still lessons learned. There are lessons that are learned there that help us to, to grow up, to learn how to be um, one of the family and to learn who we are called to be. Lessons that we learned at home often overlap at the Lord's table sometimes. So this morning I want to share with you what I think are some lessons that we learn at the table. And the first is this, wash up. Um, Probably the most common refrain around our family table, the phrase that starts dinner is not let us pray or please pass the biscuits. The phrase is, did you wash your hands, right? Sometimes as a parent, I'm thankful for the meals that come throughout the day because at least I know my children's hands got washed a couple of times that day if we're going to eat together. And I wonder if God feels that way about us sometimes, that when we come to his table, we have this chance to make sure that we're clean again, that we present ourselves and our hands and our hearts and have a chance for him to wash up for us. And when, when Jesus gathered with friends on that Thursday evening in the upper room, he knew that in less than six hours, he would be betrayed and arrested. In 12 hours, he would be put on trial. In 16 hours, he would be tortured by Roman soldiers while a crowd screamed for him to be crucified. That he would be nailed to a cross, and that not long after, he would be dead. So what did he do? What did he do with these last few precious moments of calm before the storm? He gathered his friends and ate dinner with them. And and that seems a little frivolous to us sometimes. The cross is coming. Get ready. What are you doing sitting and wasting time at a table? Why, Why didn't he take those moments to teach his disciples the last few lessons they needed before he was taken away? Why not do a review session with them or cram before the big exam that was coming? Why not do exactly what they would need to be prepared for the cross? Maybe he did. Maybe eating a meal is exactly what they needed. Why eat a meal unless a meal is more than a meal and a table is more than a table? Unless it's a way to communicate, to act out, what is to come. The message Jesus so wanted them to understand that night before dinner was even served. The message he began communicating when the disciples entered the room, and he took on the role of a servant, the posture of a servant, and began to wash their feet. And in his discussion with the reluctant Peter at that moment, he signals that there's more going on there than just washing dirty feet. Peter balks at the suggestion, don't you love Peter? I mean, he just gives me courage that it's okay to be wrong all the time. Um, he, he says, no, Lord, never, never. I will never let you wash my feet. Have You ever said never to God? Anybody bite your tongue after that once or twice? And, and when Jesus responds that it's necessary, ever the over-the-top Peter insists then that Jesus wash all of him, head to toe, just give me a bath right here at the table, Jesus, he says. I don't know about you, but I, I try to picture Jesus' facial expressions a lot in these passages, and I, I sort of see him head tilted, half smile, shaking his head at just how clueless the disciples can be. Mark Buchanan paraphrases Jesus' response this way. He says, I've already done that for you. I cleaned you up top to bottom, inside and out. It's just that you keep accumulating muck and grime. It's hard to walk through this world without getting a little of the world on you. And so you're going to need a foot bath on a regular basis. Jesus was letting us know in that moment that even when we've experienced the all-over cleansing of salvation, even if we've been marked once and for all in the waters of baptism, our souls still get dirty. We still need to turn to Jesus frequently for cleansing, to ask for forgiveness, to wash up again at the table. The disciples were not only clueless, they they didn't even know what kind of dinner conversation to have at this table that night. They had been with Jesus for three years. Surely they had soaked up enough holiness by this time. I mean, three years is long enough, right? Any fourth-year students? Fifth? six. Three years. Jesus thought it was long enough, just saying. Um, he, He knew that they needed more even than that, that there was no limit to the holiness they needed to soak up, that they weren't just on the fast track. And so at dinner that night, part of their conversation was this, a dispute arose among them as to who would be considered the greatest. It's just hard for me to even believe that's what they were talking about. That the ruler of the universe had just taken on the posture and the dress of a servant, washing their feet, and they're sitting around arguing about who would be the greatest. It just shows us again that whether we've followed Jesus for three years, or five, 20, or 50, we need that moment again. We need that moment where he kneels at our feet. We wash up. We give Jesus a chance to do what he promised to do that night. This is my blood of the new covenant, he said, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that's why every time we come to the communion table, we do so with confession. Not because we know how to wash ourselves, but because we know he's there to do it with for us. The only way we come to this table by getting washed again and remembering that we need it no matter which disciple we are. Wash up if you're going to come to this table. That's one of the rules of this family table. And Another one is this. Give thanks. Give thanks. It's always a good idea to say thank you to God when you sit down to eat. It it helps us keep in our minds and in our hearts that all the food, that every gift is a a gift from God. Um, You and I Most of us have become pretty detached from the sources of our food, but those who still till and plant and um, who still pick their food and bring it from garden to table or from farm to table have a little more insight into God's miraculous gift of making that food grow, that we can do our part, but that every shoot that grows up out of the ground seems to be a miracle when you watch it happen. Much more so than when it appears magically plastic wrapped in the supermarket aisles for us. But if you can trace any piece of food that you eat back far enough, you'll find that it originates with God, that everything we take in is really a miracle. When we remember that, we remember it's a good idea to say thank you for every morsel. We say, say thank you in communion. Uh, because it's not an act we're doing for God. It's an act he has done for us and still does again and again. It signals that very act of sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that weekend that he ate with friends. But it, it signals, too, that he is present with us again and again at this table. Our, our only response is thank you. That this meal is a confirmation of the presence of God here and now with his people. We can't help but say thank you. We're a thank you people. Even the word Eucharist sings thank you at its heart. You may have noticed when you came in today that there's something a little different at the front of the chapel, that there's a regular table here instead of the altar that we usually celebrate at. And I decided to take a little liturgical license today, um, mostly because it was a dinner table at the Last Supper, wasn't it? This is my dinner table. This is from my house. This is actually the table that Jim and the kids and I sit and eat at every day during the meals at our home. And it's interesting, but most, most homes have two spaces to eat now, don't they? There's the kitchen table and the dining room table. Um, one is for family for every day. One is for guests for being fancy. This is not the fancy table for our house. This is the kitchen table. This is where it's just us. Maybe one or two more, you can't fit many more. Some of you have fit around this table with us this year. And there are some things you could expect if you show up at this table in the middle of dinner at our house. Um, You could expect that I would be sitting on one side and Jim on the other, dividing the two kids so they can't reach one another. It's funny how you get your assigned seats at the table, isn't it? When you go to someone's house and you're invited to sit down, you first say, wait, I don't want to sit in your seat. It's funny how much worship is like that. I can look out and see you in your spots Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the week. You can do that in your churches too, right? People gravitate towards their seat. Um, You could expect some other things around this table. There are lots of refrains of wash your hands, get in your seat, don't hit your sister, There's lots of spilled milk and apple juice. There's lots of instances of parents having to get up again and again for more applesauce or another napkin or to wipe something up. It's amazing how much exercise we get during dinner. I would love to wear a pedometer just to see how many calories we actually burn during a meal. And if you showed up at our house, you would find on this table a delicious, well-crafted, nutritious meal put on this table by a wonderful cook who is not me. When we sit down together to eat, I never cease to be thankful when I look around this table for the food on it. Surely that makes me thankful, but also for the whole package, for the screaming, for the spilled milk, for the overwhelming blessings of a God who is responsible for every good and perfect gift coming. To the Lord's table reminds us to say thank you. We get a chance again to recognize that everything on it and around it is a gift from God. It's a good time to tell God thank you. So wash up. Say thanks. And then this. Do you remember this lesson as a kid? You are what you eat. When you were encouraged to eat nutritious meals, did anybody ever tell you that? I, I was a notoriously picky eater and so I was told, don't fill up on junk food. Don't eat snacks right before dinner. You need a nutritious meal. You are what you eat. And um, no one believed that more than the crowd that Jesus was with in his day. There were rules about how to eat and what to eat that dominated their thinking throughout the day. A good Jew knew exactly what and how they were supposed to eat. And there were so many laws about it that they had to think about God every time they ate. They had to think about what they were eating and how they were eating and how they were honoring God with the ways that they did that. And, and onto that kind of scene, Jesus appeared constantly talking about food. He, he claimed to be the bread of life, the true vine that produces fruit. He was even born in a city that meant house of bread, Bethlehem. He told people that they were going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. How strange a sentence is that? And when we come to this table that the bread of life prepares for us, we come hungry, not just with our stomachs hungry, but with our souls hungry. And as soon as we fill them, they begin to journey towards hunger again. And there's always that temptation to fill up with junk food, to let our consumer nature make us consume things rather than the one who gives life. I visited an Orthodox church once near Bethlehem, right outside of that city, and I didn't understand a word of the two-hour service. Well, maybe hallelujah, I understood that. But the music was the most beautiful that I had ever heard, and I will never forget the lesson that I took away. When time came for communion, the children lined up first. Not with their parents, just a long line of children down the center of this church, eagerly pressing one another forward towards the communion table. And what I learned was that those children had not been fed breakfast that morning. They were intentionally fasting before the moment that they would receive bread and cup. They were starving. Starving children are ornery people. And so they were pushing their way forward to this table to get their first bite of food for the day and then rushed off to another room where they had a snack. But at that moment, do you know how good it must have tasted to have bread? to drink from a cup. You and I are hungry children. We come to this table remembering that nothing else satisfies, nothing else can fill us. And on in this community, we, we make sure that there is food available every day for us, that every Wednesday when we come to this chapel that we serve God's holy meal from the table in the center, that every uh, day of the week we have Eucharist available somewhere on this campus. Because we want to get fed here. And because we want to be hungry for God. We want to become what we eat. While the Jews in Jesus' day spent a lot of time thinking about what they ate, they spent just as much time thinking about whom they ate with. Whose table you ate at was a significant sign of who you were. And when you ate with people, you were declaring, These are my people. I belong with them and they belong with me. And so it was dangerous to eat with anyone you didn't want to be associated with. And Jesus constantly got in trouble for eating with the wrong people. You are what you eat, but you are whom you eat with. It could ruin a guy's reputation to eat like that. But Jesus wasn't concerned with reputation. He was concerned with making sure that his table was open and available to everyone. And everywhere he went, he opened that table to people. I once visited in the home a couple that I I didn't know very well. I was at a conference, and they had invited me to stay with them. We had mutual friends. And when I arrived at that home, um, they were so hospitable, extravagantly hospitable. There were special touches everywhere in this home that let me know it had been prepared for me, that there was a place for me. You know, some people are welcoming, but some people are welcoming. They were over the top welcoming. And, and when I said something to um, the wife, I said, thank you so much. You, you're so gifted at making me feel welcome here. She told me the story of why. She said when she and her husband first married and they first visited the home of her mother-in-law, she was anything but welcome. That her new mother-in-law let her know in no uncertain terms that she was not welcome there. While she might be staying there, she wasn't welcome. When she went to the bathroom, there was no towel for her. She had to look around for one. It hadn't been placed out. And when they went to sit at the table, there were only two places set. It was an intentional sign that she wasn't welcome to sit at that table her husband had to go in the kitchen and get another place setting down for her. Can you imagine? She said, when I experienced that lack of welcome, I knew that when I had a home of my own, I would do everything I could, to make everyone who came in the door know that they were welcome there. I would set a place for everyone that I could so they would know they were welcome at my table. I hope the message is clear here when we come to the Lord's table together. You have a place at this table. You have an invitation. I hope that you will communicate that welcome to others, that they are invited, that wherever this meal is served, the invitation is open. You you are what you eat, but you are who you eat with. So eat like Jesus. Welcome people to this table. We have communion with God, but we also have communion with the other people around us. They become our people when we eat together. They become our family. Not just those that we can see coming forward in this room, but those around the world that eat with us as well at this table. People worship and eat at this table in China, Africa, India, Latin America, in wealthy suburbs, in slums. People are eating at this table, and they're your people. You are who you eat with. So much of what we do, so much of what we're learning about here in this community is about how to set a place and how to invite the world to dine with us. So welcome them well. Set a place for them. The last lesson I would offer you from this table is this. Tell your story. Tell your story. One of the greatest things that happens around a dinner table is that stories get told. Sometimes they're funny stories, sometimes they're sad stories, sometimes at your family table there are stories you have heard before, more than once, but they're gonna get told again, because maybe you need to hear them again. At the table, everyone is welcome to tell their story, and so even children are asked, what did you do today? What did you learn about in school today? To which the answer is, Nothing. Every time. Nothing. It, even if it seems like nothing is happening at your family table, I guarantee that something is happening. The stories that you tell are as important as the food that you eat. And the Lord's table tells a story that goes farther back than we could ever imagine. The night that Jesus had dinner with friends, they were telling a story around that table. They were celebrating. Passover, the rehearsal of the events of their exodus from Egypt. Such an experiential meal with bitter herbs and salty water and roasted lamb, each piece of which told the story. And when Jesus went through the storytelling as usual, he came to a point where the story changed, and the people around the table recognized they weren't hearing a story about the past anymore. That the story had rushed forward to the present, and they had become a part of it. that while there was lamb roasted and served on the table, it was being served to them by the Lamb of God, who within a matter of hours would take away the sins of the world. But looking around that table at the 12 who had gathered, they were telling the story of 12 tribes who had wandered lost and needed rescue, needed someone to bring them back home. There's something about a table that is more than a table when you tell a story. It connects you to your roots. And the table, our kitchen table, goes back further than just Jim and me. It was Jim's parents' table before it was ours, before he was ever born. His mom tells me they got it at a junk store for $60. But it was a difficult decision because they didn't really have $60 to spare, but they didn't have a table to eat at either, so they made the investment that is still paying off today. Uh, And at this table, uh, we have actual pictures of what happened around this table. At this table, um, my mother-in-law, who's an amazing and accomplished cook, prepared all of her first meals as a married person. Her first Thanksgiving dinner was set and served at this table. She remembers a time when Jim was an infant. She would set him up on the table in his car seat to watch his sister eat that she would entertain him and keep him pleased during dinner, laughing and making faces at him. This is the table where Jim and his sister's birthdays were celebrated. People that I've never even met celebrated at this table. And now our celebrations happen at this table, too. What celebration calls for a meal with a princess and a dress and a crown? We call that Tuesday at our house. Usually Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. She wore it for breakfast, I'll just say that. And this table has endured through the years. Hard to see um, in the bright light in here, but this is a picture of two Halloweens that happened, um, 40, 30, somewhere in there, years apart. A brother and sister, um, and then the brother who grew up to be the dad, carving pumpkins with his children, too. This table has endured. And there are celebrations that happened then that are still happening now. If this table could talk, it would tell a lot of stories. And my family's history, before it was even my family, happened around this table. And they celebrated countless birthdays and good report cards and graduations and first jobs, and now I get to celebrate at this table. It connects me to the past, a part of a family that I joined and then It also connects me to the future. Um, This table is precious to me. So I wanted you to eat at it with me today. You're my people. When we eat together in here, we become family. This has been a year of becoming family for us. This is where we celebrate. This is where we acknowledge. If this table could talk, The Lord's table, imagine the stories it would tell. Stories of people being brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. Stories of Jesus raising bread and breaking it, raising a cup. Your stories happen around this table. And when we eat here, history comes rushing to meet us. And we reach out to the future too. We say that at this table, we say it, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Past, present, and future all meet here. There are a lot of lessons to be learned at this table, and I know you have yours too. So as we worship today, as we sing, I invite you to reflect on the lessons you've learned at the family table, at the Lord's table, because it's at this table that a meal is more than a meal. Bread is more than bread. Juice is way more than juice. And friends become more than friends, we become family. Learn the story and tell the story and celebrate it here. It's a great story, and today we'll learn it again.